0: As a COO, it's really important that I've got a world-class team, which we're half built and are building out. Um, we, We divide the work as a company into get work, do work, and measure it. And so do work falls under the COO, so engineering, production, project management, quality, and procurement.
1: Welcome to the Second in Command podcast. Everybody, on today's podcast, we've got a great guest, Jeff Searle. Jeff is actually the COO for GermFree Labs. He's also a COO Alliance member. He's also been working with the company for 33 years, which is really unusual. Uh, started right at like a 20-year-old, has been with the company till this day. The father, um, founding CEO, was originally the father of the company. His son then became CEO. And about five years ago, the son passed away. So some really interesting discussions around the transition from being a family-run business to you know, having the CEO die while he was there, and then also the transition from that, selling to a PE firm, some really interesting insights about selling off to a PE firm, bringing in senior leadership, and just lots of really great lessons from Jeff Searle. So you'll enjoy the podcast, and we'll see you on the inside. Also, take a look at our second episodes that we're now releasing, two episodes every week. You'll start enjoying those as well. So, hey, Jeff, welcome to the Second in Command podcast.
0: Oh, thanks, Cameron. Good to talk to you.
1: Yeah, nice to see you. What a lot of people don't realize is you're also a COO Alliance member, so I've gotten to know you a little bit over the last year and get to meet you in a couple of the breakouts. Um, hopefully, we're going to be able to see you in person at the, the April in-person event. You'll be able to make it to that, hopefully. But what was it that got you to join the COO Alliance initially? I'm just curious what that mindset was, and then I'm going to come back into lots about your company.
0: Yeah, so you know, I, I got... When we talked earlier, I feel like I've been the COO for the company for 100 years or 30 years anyway, but I got the title a year ago. And th- then I set about figuring out what exactly that meant and how I can best execute that and stumbled across COO Alliance and really hit me, the the started getting into some of your books and how practical it was and it helped me kind of define the role for what I need to
1: be right now and hopefully where I'll go over the next three to five years, I guess. Nice. Yeah. And so you mentioned to me, even prior to going live, that you've been with the company for 33 years, which is amazing. Because, So what, when did you join? When you were like 20? 21, yeah. So joining the company when you're 21 years old, and then still being able to be there at this stage today, that's a pretty extraordinary growth stage to be able to have gone through. But you said you kind of you know, informally were the second in command of the COO for all that tenure, and then you became formally the COO. What what was it that tweaked that they finally gave you the title? And what do you think has changed with the title versus when you were more informally CO, COO?
0: Well, clearly over 33 years, I've done a lot. So my background's mechanical engineering and I've done a lot of design. Um, been involved with all the products we developed over the years. So I always had that role to the CEO or the former CEO who was, was basically the founder's son and he had the ideas. But as um As we grew, so he and I always just had this, the two of us ran the company, basically. As we transitioned, um, unfortunately, he got sick five years, four years ago and passed away about two years ago. He had brought on Kevin, who's our current CEO, and he really had the vision for the business. So he kind of broke us down a little bit, got things in in a good order formally. And then we built back up. And I think through that process, I held a couple of formal roles, director of engineering and director of sales, as we kind of pieced together the rest of a solid leadership team. Once we had that together, that's when he made the move to make me officially COO and bring that in. And we've talked about the types of COOs that are out there and which ones I fill. And I think I fit kind of in the middle of some of those even. So it's kind of interesting.
1: Yeah. You, you mentioned as well that the, you know, the father was the founder of the company when you joined the company, he was there and then the CEO kind of became, or the son became the CEO. What was that like working inside of a family business? I know you mentioned to me that the founder, CEO, the father really just wanted this to be more of a lifestyle business, two, $3 million a year. And then you guys kind of pushed past that. Did you have to get his buy in around that or did you just focus and grow and it all of a sudden became bigger and he woke up one morning and said oh oh well <laughs> yeah
0: a little more planned than that but um if you, if you knew keith you realize that there was always this looseness to things but you know at the, the, the time i joined the father was already about 80 so he had clear plans to retire keith and i Talk together. We actually started when when Keith had left the company. Believe it or not, long story there. But he and I worked together doing some product development. Like I'm I'm 19 years old. We're working in the back of a karate studio behind a screen, developing these products that became our current one of our current product lines. So what once his father officially decided to retire, he moved back. I got hired by you know Germ Free Formal, and 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 so we just kind of decided we wanted to grow. And, and then we started having wives and kids and families and decided we didn't want to be in Miami, move the company up here. And that allowed us that freedom to settle in and grow the company. So,
1: can you speak to that? You just mentioned kind of the OG shucks through it about how did wives and family, how did that change the dynamic of the company? And did you cognizantly have to address that with any of the employees when that change started to happen?
0: I don't think so. I mean, we were 20 or so employees when we were in Miami. When we came here, seven of us moved up here with the company. I think there's two of us left still—one of our salespeople and myself. But it, it was kind of—we a we kind of grew up, right? I was 21 when I started with the company. He was probably 25. I think I grew up before he did. I got married about two years before he did, and um, started having kids a couple of years after that. And we, we just found ourselves spending half our days in traffic in Miami, and decided we needed a quieter place, and that seemed like a good way to get a fresh start and. And guys, kind of our informal attempt of having the company be more formal and, and a real company. And you know, we stopped wearing shorts and flip flops to work, that kind of stuff.
1: <laughs> it's interesting though, that once, what you're talking about as well is so critical for a company to go through that natural transition that what can really happen is that when, when they are that kind of Gen Y young, you know, beer after work, play together, fun together, work all the time. And then when one of the leaders has a child, it does actually change the dynamic. I was the first of the leadership team at One Eight Hundred got junk to have a child, and I remember saying, "No, I I can't meet every morning at for breakfast. I know I can't go out for drinks every night anymore. No, I, like we had to become this more of a real business. I think it was actually really good for us. Yeah, to go through that transition too.
0: No, there's definitely that, and you know, we were more of a, a fish on the weekend, and you know, we we actually lived on a boat together for a number of years. We we definitely had that that kind of. Working we had to and play lifestyle, but it but it evolved pretty quick we He was married a couple of years after I was and was and when I got married, he was dating pretty serious, so it was a pretty natural progression for the two of us and then I think the rest of the team we had a bunch of young guys on the team and gals, and then they kind of grew up with us, and it all just became a natural progression for us
1: so for the most part, for the first you know twenty five ish years that you were there or maybe even longer twenty eight years you were there, you really had a family. CEO. And then sadly, the, the son passed away, of cancer after a few years. That's a big transition for a company to lose their founding CEO or really that CEO for a long period of time. It's also a bit of a transition to go from a real family kind of company to just being a company. What, were there any lessons or learnings or stumbling blocks that happened through that period for you?
0: Yeah. The, 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 first, the first day we discussed bringing in my new boss, was not easy. And the first year was probably pretty rough, but we realized some point along the way it clicked. And we both realized where our strengths and weaknesses were. This is the new CEO, of course. And what we talk about it now was was we um if you talk to both of us, we'll tell you the same story and we'll both say in order for this relationship to happen, I had to change. And I think we realized that about the same time. And then we found that that yin and yang as you call it how we can work together and compliment each
1: other. Was there a transition period in terms of having to let the did the company have to let go or, you know, go through a grieving process as well? And and how did you walk them through that?
0: Yeah, it was you know, it was a couple of years, so it happened pretty slow. But absolutely, um, I, I worked with Keith for 30 years. I've known him longer than my wife, so it was um it was a difficult transition, personally and professionally. But at the same time, we we're on this huge growth curve, so it was at a point where. 20 people, maybe 30 people knew Keith even, and the other 50 didn't. And and now it's 20 or 30 people knew Keith and the other 160 don't. Yeah. And so while there was definitely a, a struggle for a lot of us, the, the company thrived. And you know, Keith and 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 Kevin, our current CEO, obviously bonded very well. So, but at that leadership level, we all knew him and struggled. So
1: yeah. So, in terms of your, let's talk a little bit about what Germ Free Labs does, and then I want to go back into some of your growth as a as a leader through there. So, just tell us a little bit about what Germ Free Labs does overall as a company, and then we'll go with um, some questions there too.
0: That's probably the hardest question you asked me all day. So, <laughs> we're an equipment manufacturing company. Uh, originally, it was equipment for hospital pharmacies, where you mix IV drugs and sterile products inside of our equipment. There's HEPA filtered air blowing. It protects the product, and in some versions, it protects the people as well, if it's a hazardous drug or something. That moved into um, work with the U.S. Army, where the U.S. Army approached us and said, hey, this is cool. We need this product. We want to drop it out of an airplane on a parachute. Can you make that mobile for us? And we're, that's cool. We can do that. So we did that, and they dropped it out of an airplane and set it up in the tent lab in the desert, And then they wanted to put it in a truck or a trailer. So we said, well, we can do that. And then the truck fell apart around our equipment. And they said, why don't you guys just build us the truck too? So we started making mobile laboratories. So the entire, we buy a truck and build this big box and put our equipment inside. That grew into clean rooms for hospital pharmacies, pharmaceutical manufacturing, high containment labs where they're handling Ebola. Even in the current COVID-19 crisis, the lab that we built in our factory and delivered to singapore is the lab where they actually isolated the virus from the bat for researchers to start working with
1: wow all right so you guys are are, are running some some pretty complicated stuff some pretty high-tech stuff how do you decide what to say yes to and what to say no to because i would imagine that you get asked to do some pretty cool stuff and you've got kind of the engineering bend to you so you always like creating cool stuff how do you know what the right stuff is to say yes to
0: yeah, so we we've been focused on that. That's some of the the part of that Kevin brought to the table, right? Because Keith never said no, right? <laughs> but that that um, we we focus on the markets we want to do. We realize that like the the pharmaceutical and personalized medicine, distributed manufacturing and medicine is really the future and the market we want to be in. So we focus our effort there. From as far as like attacking from a sales and marketing. You know, when we build a Cadillac, we don't build a Chevrolet. So if it's a Chevrolet, that, that's not the path we go down. So we, we have kind of our little niche.
1: Interesting. Makes sense. What about your growth as a leader? I mean, you, you started off, you mentioned kind of in the engineering background. Do you still use your engineering skills to today? And do you take any of your engineering skills into the operations or the business side at all?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I, I'm a mechanical engineer by training and it took me 13 years to get there. All of those years I worked here. So I did it at night. I became an SME in the in the industry, and so I'm a lifelong learner, partially by necessity and partially by that. That's just my personality. So as far as the leadership skill, that's something I have some natural ability for, but then I've also been focused in the last five or six years on really digging in and learning and applying that to the business. From the engineering side to the company, I still get involved in business development early projects with clients, fly over the world, meeting with clients. So as a COO, it's really important that I've got a world-class team, which we're half built and are building out. Um, we, We divide the work as a company into get work, do work, and measure it. And so do work falls under the COO. So engineering, production, project management, quality, and procurement.
1: Interesting. I like it. Get work, do work, and and um, what was the last one? Measure it? Me- measure it, yeah. Um. Wh- so which parts, so who, does the measure it fall under the CFO or do, who does that fall under and who does, and the get work falls under where, CEO or? CEO, yeah. yeah. Okay. How did you decide how to divide and conquer that?
0: Well, I, I, Kevin's an, a gifted salesperson and has had a lot of formal training in that as well as a business operation. So he's got skill sets on both sides, but I, I think that's really the 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 line where we we've worked together and decided that that's really where his strengths are. Mine lean more towards the operation, even though we have some overlap. But I, I think we're both open for the overlap. But again, that's the how we how do we make this work? We both realize we have to make it work. And so, if I step on his toes, he lets me know to move on. If he steps on my toes, we do the same. And more often, we're collaborating around that middle ground. So,
1: you know, when you're when you're dividing up that work between the CEO and the COO. And then CFO in that case, you mentioned as well earlier about, about you were the one who had to kind of cash the checks the CEO wrote. Yeah, I, I heard recently that the COO is often the leash to the dragon, right? <laughs> or were the, were the brakes to the gas. How did you talk to the CEO when, when you were having to write checks that you couldn't afford to write? Like when the, the promises were too big, or the projects were too big, or the, the timing of it was wrong? How did you have those discussions with them?
0: Well this goes back to the 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 former founder son CEO those were the days when I was just cashing the checks and um we would just write another check <laughs> it was the answer we we always sold our way out of problems right and that works till you're a certain size company and we we would just share the responsibilities when we had bad news to share with a client and we would you know work 24-hour days or 48-hour days to kind of meet our commitments and ha- had a We've defined our core values and our mission, all these things over the last five or six years, but we've always had them and the people just bought into it. And if we needed to work 48 hours straight to get a project out the door to meet a commitment, we did it. And um, the the whole team would pitch in. Again, smaller team, but obviously not the way you want to do it, by the way.
1: When you're scaling to the size now, you've got about 200 employees now, when you're scaling over the last, how many employees did you have maybe five years ago? Were you at the 40, 50 mark about five years ago? Probably 80. 80, 80, okay. So, you know, in that scale, there often comes some waste where you have the, you don't really have the strong leadership team. You you more have like a management team and they're all figuring it out as they go. And often their solution to every problem is hire more people, right? And, And you can get kind of wasteful as an organization at that stage. How did you unwind some of that waste and, and how do you prevent that waste? Is that the measure, mes- measure it side of the business that does that? or?
0: Well, yeah, we we certainly got better at measuring it, but I, I would say we're still figuring that out, Cameron. That, that That's a big part of what we're doing and it's a big part of me adding folks to that, that operations team that, that bring in skill sets that I don't have. We, we just, like two days ago, hired a new director of operation that has a really strong manufacturing background and lead manufacturing background we brought on some really solid quality people. We've also brought some people up with us in procurement. So that the team is really strong. our engineering director is amazing. And we're actually we lost a really amazing director of project management. We're filling that role now. But the the key is we were still solving the problem and it's getting the right people in place to do that. And that that's again, that's part of that learning curve of the last year. I've been really focused on how do I build that team and
1: yeah. That makes a lot of sense. When you're bringing in those people from the outside into the organization, that can often cause some ripple effects. Well, it does. It always causes both good ripple effects and bad ripple effects. What's your process for um, socializing, you know, to the current team that you're bringing people in above them, and then how do you bring in those people so that they do the least amount of damage and the most amount of good?
0: Yeah. So so we we had the opposite problem. right? right, Right prior to our being acquired, we we had some people at that level that weren't contributing and were, were causing a lot of frustration in the organization. We talked a lot about being driven by our culture and living by our core values, but d- due to circumstances, we had to delay the enactment of that. So the, the, the going backwards a couple steps actually brought the team together. And then I've learned processes uh, from you, thank you very much, on, on how to find the right people the first time. And I I think that has really made that possible. And we've also done a lot of hiring from within. Um, When the position's right, we bring the people up internally to refill those positions. And when we, we don't, we'll bring them in from the outside. But we always make it available to the internal teams. That also helps. Everyone knows what's going on. If we had a candidate that wanted to be the director of operations, they could have applied to the job and they would have been taken just as seriously and gone through the exact same process. So...
1: So when you have somebody internally, let's say that they're going for the director of operations role and, and you recognize they're not the right person for it, how do you tell them that they're not the right, do you just like rip off the band-aid and say you're not the right person or is there, a, is there kind of a system that you use to do that? How do you let them down so that you don't lose them? Because that can often be discouraging for them as well.
0: I think it's honesty. I'm honest from the very beginning that we're going to open this position internally and externally and I explain the process we're going to go through. And then I explain the scoring steps we're going to go through. And it's it's multiple people interviewing the candidates, not just myself. I'll do the first round. And then I put it to their peers, their subordinates, and then their superiors through an interview process. And there's a score done. And then we tallied the score and we picked the best candidate based on a score. So I try to take the, the emotions out of it and make it a process driven thing. Because if not, you can hurt feelings. But if you start from the beginning honestly and tell them, this is how we're going to do it. And this is how we're going to score people. Uh, I think it's pretty clear. And I think we've been really good at retaining people and bringing up the right people from internally. So. Do
1: you ever tell people right at the very beginning that they're not the right fit?
0: I, I don't think you have to. I, I think if you define the position well, and then you're honest. And then what, what I've told people through, we've been through a lot of change, right? We, we've brought in new management over the last few years. We've been purchased by private equity. Um, we, we've had some some big changes in the leadership team. And the, the one thing I tell people, if you embody our core values and we have grit, we own it, we drive innovation, and we embody integrity. If you have those qualities, we're going to find the right position for you in the organization and we'll work together to do it. And I, I think everyone believes that and, and we're doing that. So when someone reads a job description, it's not them. I've had conversations like, "But I'm not sure I want to do this. I said, okay, I agree. What about this? Let's find this position or or let's fill this position. I'm trying to also build out our structure. So it's it's agnostic to who fills the roles. I'm I'm the CEO now, but in three years I may not be, but that role will be well-defined for the next person. So I I think making it clear and and being upfront and honest and, so sometimes you have to have hard conversations when you're in a leadership position. And, and, and if you're honest with people, they appreciate it usually.
1: How about the, the, uh, the core values? You, know, you, you, you rattled them off, which is great that you, you know them. I mean, so often people say they have core values, and then you ask any of the employees or leaders, and they have no idea what the core values are, or they can, they can name two of them, not five. And so how do, you, how do you interview against those core values when you're looking for candidates and you, and you know you want to interview for them? What's, do you have a process for that at all?
0: And this might sound familiar to you, but I'm collecting five traits for that candidate and defining those traits so everyone in the interview process has a clear picture of what that means, listing the core values on an actual piece of paper that I hand them and say, these are the core values. And then the top three things they need to get done in the next year, have you done it? And and then I walk through a questionnaire sheet, if it it says someone that's not familiar with the interviewing process, I'll actually have our team write questions for them that they can choose from as they're talking to the candidate, all designed to hit those those topics, the the traits, the core values, and then what needs to get done. So um, it it makes it kind of even and that we're answering questions. Do they check that box or do they not check that box? Can they show they have integrity? Have they demonstrated that? So
1: yeah, I like that you're actually giving the process and giving the actual questions to the interviewers as well, because so often interviewers go in with the best intention, but they're either rushed or they don't have the skills. They've never really been trained in interviewing. It's one of the core modules in my Invest in Your Leaders course is this whole section's around interviewing, but it's a real skill that I think we often miss the boat on. On you know, We've got all of our t- people doing interviews, but they've never been trained and or you got a leader who says, "Oh, I've done hundreds of interviews. Yeah, but you might have done a hundred of them wrong too, right?" That um, it's good that you're putting those systems in place.
0: One of the things I've learned in the industry, I've actually written a lot of uh, accreditation programs for people in the industry that test our equipment, and the process of question writing and having a rubric against which you score the questions and answer them to is so critical. So that's why I felt we had to do the same thing for this type of questioning to make it really clear we're all shooting for the same goal a good is a good whoever asks the question and gets the answer we can see it's a good answer not a bad answer
1: yeah it's something i'm actually building out is the interviewing or the the certification models for all of the 12 skills of the invest in your leaders course so i can actually have that as an offering as well so that leaders can actually certify people in their company on demonstrating the skill and using the skill because it's one thing to You know, learn it and be able to regurgitate it. It's another thing to be able to practice it and then demonstrate it, and then you know later be certified at a level that you could even train other people in it too. It's good that you actually build that out. So you just went through a transaction um, selling. Did you sell the whole company or part of the company to private equity? Whole company. And and how did that transaction go? What was the process like? And you know, what have the lessons been through that?
0: Yeah. So I came into the process about 10 months prior to the sale. And I've been going on for about six months with the CEO, laying some of the groundwork with the owners and and the process I got involved involved us building out a really complex slide deck about who we are, how we plan to grow, where we've been, where we're going. Um, that was then shopped through a process that I I wasn't a part of, thankfully. And that they they brought us a number of can, I think it was 12 candidates. We did phone interviews with the twelve candidates that got narrowed down to five finalists, and that that then we went through live interviews, one on one, with all five of these groups, and you know dinners and all day offsite meetings, tours, that kind of stuff, and then they went away, and and the um, the, the highest bidder won in the end, and it, it was um it, it was an interesting process because as the process went along, we didn't know where we'd end up. And actually the night before it got finalized, I thought things were going in a different direction. And then I woke up to where we are, which has just been amazing. We have a wonderful group. It's EW Healthcare Partners is our new owner. And they are just supporting us 100% and giving us what we need to get to the next level. So
1: what did you have to do differently as an organization to you know start working through that transaction and post-transaction? Like, have you had to change the way you've operated have you had to raise your bar in any areas? Curious about that.
0: The, the biggest thing we had to do is think bigger. Right? We've, we've always thought within the constraints of a family-owned business, and a decent-sized family-owned business, $20 million business, over 100 employees at one point. But we were still constrained by by our circumstances and by how sales went. Now we've got a little bit more freedom to think bigger, to achieve goals that we've highlighted and, and that we know the market will support. So. That, that's that been and is our biggest challenge, um, and there's been definite operational changes that are taking place. We were in a 170,000-square-foot facility, which we think is going to be too small pretty soon. So we, our, our products could be 15,000-square-feet made out of 700 or 800-square-foot boxes that are bolted together with 15 feet of mechanical ducting and air handlers on top. So this can be huge or in a huge building. We're reconfiguring the building right now to fix the layout. We we also do equipment that's the size of a refrigerator, so much smaller. Well, one has a eighteen hour contact time. One has a twenty four thousand hour contact time for us, but they're very complementary because our smaller products fit inside of our laboratories and our clean room. So they're very. It gives us a very turnkey offering. Service is a huge part of what we do. We've got a service team in house of like 10 people, we've got actually one employee in Singapore that lives there full time supporting a lab and, and the region. So with it, thinking bigger, we're reorganizing right now and kind of really defining what we can do here and when, when we need to move into a bigger facility.
1: How about the communications with the employees and the current team? Was there any nervousness that you had to quell with them or anything you had to walk them through? And, and what did you, how did you handle that part of the transaction?
0: Yeah, lots of nervousness, right? People have worked for a family company for a lot of years, you know, starting with the CEO and myself, right? We we had to get this figured out. But I I think open, honest communication being as forthcoming as we could, we we, we had obviously limitations based on the process throughout each step of the process um, of who we could share information with. But there was definitely nervousness. And I think now we're four months into it. People are getting comfortable that we really are going to keep this team together and we're going to grow based on our leadership team. They're, they're not coming in and replacing and dropping their CEOs in a place that they're, they're going to grow on our leadership team. So there have been some changes, mind you, but it's been for a couple of different reasons, not our owners forcing us to do something, which also adds to the nervousness. But we're, we're in a good headspace company wide and moving forward
1: was part of the reason for the the sale to the pe because the family wanted to or needed to have the exit after you know the son passed away was that kind of the exit from a family business to a you know a business now
0: yeah absolutely the 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 wife who's an amazing lady and has amazing kids and um she owned the majority of it his his, uh, brother owned some who wasn't really involved in the business until the last five or six years but they weren't able to bootstrap it the way that the previous CEO did. So they, they didn't want to have that kind of investment, So They needed to do something different, which has been, you know, it, it's sad on one hand, but it's also given the business the ability to go to the next level.
1: Yeah. And it's nice that they actually recognized it and they didn't kill the goose that laid the golden egg, right? They didn't actually, um, you know, do anything in that stage. Did they keep any, any position in that transaction or are they out completely? No.
0: They're completely, but but they they I think they all we we all you know Keith was the, the gentleman that passed away Keith Landy and his family and the leadership team always respected his vision I think and that they wouldn't have done that they they know he he made his wishes clear that he wants the company to go on and all the products that are, our, our products are are used to develop therapies that cure cancer and will be the uh, a great way to distribute medicine throughout the country so the 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 time and the risk of shipping these expensive therapies goes down. so there's a real purpose to what we do and he wanted that purpose to go on so uh, everybody respected that in the process and and actually the the, the ownership was, was amazing they actually gave and we we did the work obviously getting the company sold but they also included us in the decision process and, and made sure that we were going to be in a good home and um, like I said couldn't, couldn't have worked out better at this point.
1: Um, couple last questions. You mentioned that um, you know you're always been a lifelong learner. What is it that you've been focusing on recently in your growth? I know you talked about you know joining the COO Alliance, but and working on leadership stuff. Are there any specific things that you've worked on in the last you know couple of years, or that you're even working on today to be a better leader or better COO? Yeah,
0: it, it, a lot of is working on myself. Right, the, the thinking bigger thing. But we, I talked about the relationship between Kevin and I, and how that that was rough at first. And and one of, the, one of the first things he did was he threw a book on my desk called Extreme Ownership, which I looked at that book and said, I'm not reading that. You read that kind of a thing. And and now it's one of my favorite books. I tell everybody about it. And I don't know if you've read it, but if you haven't listened to it on tape, because these guys are awesome. They're these big, tough Marines. And they tell these stories of war and how that relates to business. But it, it's been that formalized leadership training, I think, is the answer to your question, just making sure I'm following a process in my learning and, and getting something that I can pass down because I do have a passion for learning and, and teaching leadership. And you know, I've been involved like in Boy Scouts over the years as a Scoutmaster and bringing my guns up through Eagle Scout. So I always like helping internally as well as in the community, people to learn. So
1: I love it. Um, I want to go back to the like 20-year-old Jeff Searle. You were behind the curtain and you're doing the coding and working on some cool stuff, but you're kind of just getting started in your business career. What advice would you give yourself back then that you know to be true today?
0: Man, it's to start getting serious sooner. You know, I I tell people my career, I've had 27 years I worked here with no boss. I work with my best friend. Then the last five years I had a boss. Well, now we have expectations. I wish I would have started working on this part of myself sooner. I mean, the first 10 years I worked here, I was going through college and getting an engineering degree, which was you know, somewhat important, but but I haven't really been the engineer of the company. I've led the engineering department. But to, just to get serious younger and, and take this more serious, is kind of taking for granted. It, it was comfortable. I let myself be comfortable for too long.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. It, it seems like that's probably the case for so many companies out there too. They just kind of exist. They go day to day, but it is when somebody gets serious and grabs the reins or decides to start to lead. Sometimes it's the speed of the leader, speed of the group, but You're certainly a leader today. Jeff Searle, the COO for Germ-Free Labs. Thanks very much for sharing with us on the Second in Command podcast. No, Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like, share, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and our other podcast streaming platforms. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.